Dystopia tonight. Good evening, John. How are you, my friend? How is the week treating you? I I missed you yesterday, even though I was able to catch bits and pieces of you. You did. On, you did. Uh, on the Twitch stream. But if anybody else missed yesterday, definitely check it out over on our YouTube channel at Dystopia Tonight. Or you can listen to it on Apple, Spotify, anywhere we listen to those podcasts. But uh, enough about yesterday. It's all about today. Yes. <laughs> How are you, buddy? Yeah, you were busy, man. You were getting a hot stone massage in AC, and I was uh, working. I was working for us. Good job. It was good. We had a great guest. We had uh, Jessica Burbank on last night. If you guys missed it, it'll be uh, up and ready to go by next week. Um, yeah, but she was phenomenal. She's so smart, full of great information. Um, and uh, we just had a blast swapping stories back and forth. She had a pretty interesting one about a like, literal break-in that she had in her house. Really? Um, she got doxxed. Fucking sucks, man. Wow, that's pretty great. That is pretty crazy. That's yeah, interesting. It was, yep, it was fucking nuts. Um, but yeah, we got a great guest. Uh, I'm super excited because one, he's been doing stand up for fucking ever. Uh, he's part of a comedy duo, which we've had a couple comedy duos on, um, but not we've never actually had. We've never so had, had the Tom, duo. We've always we had one or the other. Yeah, one or the other. We've had Tom Dreesen on uh, Jim Valley, uh, who was part of the Funny Boys. Um, and now we've got Jamie Alcroft, who is part of uh, Mac and Jamie. Um, but he's also done a million voices. He's been in movies. Uh, one of my favorite. Well, first of all, he's been Spiral the Dragon. So I've got a couple of video games I grew up with. He did voices in uh, Spiral the Dragon being one of them, which is super awesome. Another connection to a guest we had. We had Stuart Copeland on who did the uh, soundtrack to Spiral the Dragon. Yeah. Um, and I think he just no, I didn't want a Grammy for that, but he did just put out an album of that music. And I think he was like touring it or whatever, which is crazy because it's really good. It's really good score. You're just um, working on six degrees of Poveromo. I get it. You're trying to connect everybody always. We uh, dude, our guests, oddly enough, connect with each other, I think, even more than they know. It's really weird. Like it's not on it's not intentional. It could just also be my age and like the people that I like that I have on the show. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I have no idea what it is, but they they do often connect a little bit. Um, but he was in another. He did the voice of um, Victor Hoffman. In one of my favorite games ever, Gears of War. Uh, it's a, it's a, just a fucking great game. If you've never played it, guys, it's one of the best, like, uh, I think, like, shoot em war style games or whatever. It's good collab. You play with your friends. Um, you can play online. First person shooter, right? Yeah, first person shooter. But you can also, I think it's got the first person shooter angle uh, if you if you want. But you can also pull back and see the characters because the characters are fucking, like, it's so well done. It's great. Yeah. Um, you know, he was also did a voice in Scooby-Doo, Rugrats. Um, my God, I'm trying to think. There's so, like the Eight list. Crazy Nights. Eight Crazy author. Nights. Yes, he's an author. He's got a book out right now. Let's not waste any more time. Let's bring out Jamie Alcroft. Hey. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you guys doing tonight? Good, man. How are you? Today, I'm just great. I'm laughing and scratching. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Dude, I'm a huge, huge, huge Game of War, Gears of War fan. It's like one of my favorite games ever. Yeah, it's, it's a great, great game, really well thought out. And, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. We did we, Gears of War 4. Yeah. I've been working on Gears of War for almost 20 years. Oh, my yeah. God, man. That is crazy. And Victor Hoffman is probably one of the best commanding characters. Like he, he's a great character. Good story, everything. Yeah, yeah. They should have done a backstory. Victor Hoffman is a child. <laughs> <laughs> if he, what, would, what would that have been like? on these 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 incredible characters in in video games you know they don't yeah. they don't go back to how did this person you know develop these special talents and powers right. and right. and because victor's just got a goddamn attitude is what he got <laughs> he's about everything absolutely he slipped by <laughs> Did you, were you able, because you also worked with, um, actually, you know, when you're doing video games, is it the same as doing voiceovers for movies and cartoons and stuff? Are you ever in the room with the same people or is it all just by yourself? No, nah, it's usually just by yourself. But when you're doing uh, stop action, mm -hmm. when they put all those little doodads all over your body and you slip into the suit, right? Uh, you do stop action with other actors, which we've done for Gears of War. Nice. We we did a stop action where Victor Hoffman was in a wheelchair for the whole thing. Oh. So I, I didn't get to really, you know, move. <laughs> like, wow. I can, you know, but um, it, it was, it was like stop in action. That was fun because you really were interacting with the actors. When, when I did um, 
Rugrats. Mm. You were in the room with several different characters. And you know what? When we did Justice League, there were almost, I'm going to say 14, 15 people sitting in a circle. Everybody was mic'd. And it was so exciting because we were bouncing off each other. We are working with each other. And, and the funny thing about Justice League was that all these name actors would come in. Mm-hmm. Say Travante or whatever, or, or Patricia Arquette. Or, right. And they weren't used to doing video so, or cartoons. So it was, it was very interesting to see them. Paul Servino came for one of them, I think. Oh, and wow. To see them thrown in to that environment um, where you're really just acting on your ass. Wow. You're sitting there, you're sitting there in a room and, <laughs> and you know, and, and they bump me and go, how am I doing? Is that all right? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? We've had a bunch of voice actors on and everybody's kind of got a different take on this thing. But I mean, you've been doing voice acting for so long. And it's it's a true art form, but like, is it does it bug you when you see a lot of these movies and stuff being made where they literally just go for the big, like for the name guys who aren't voice actors who aren't as skilled as you at doing this? It's a little frustrating. Um, I did the the um, what do they call them the tracks slash tracks? What do they call oh, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, for uh, uh, a Shrek? Mm-hmm. And, oh, and then they went with Mike Myers. Wow. <laughs> Go figure. No. But you know, <laughs> and, and I knew what they wanted. So I just give it to them. I give them West, West Coast Scots. Wow. If they want West Coast, that's West Coast. Yeah. And, and so. That's great, man. And, you know, but, you know, the first video game I ever did was Return to Castle Wolfenstein. Oh, and man, I played game. a character named Jack. And mm-hmm. Tony Jay who had done Jungle Book. He's an old British actor. Very, very proper. He kept just bitching all over the place. Bloody ne'er-do-wells. These so-called voice-over actors, they know nothing about voiceover. <laughs> and they're going to steal all our jobs. Oh, my God. Last thing he said to me before he died. Wow. <laughs> He died right on my arms, right there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. that's But that's so true, dude. And it's like, I see a bunch of stuff, like all these movies coming out, and it's like big name, big name, big name. And you're just like, oh, you know, I mean, it's probably not even that great. What are you going to do? Every once in a while, you get thrown in, and, and you know, there's somebody who who can't do a voice. Uh, I've been having fun lately. I've been looping for Harrison Ford. Uh, I looped for Sean Connery in the day. Um, I looped for John Lennon. Wow. Uh, right. Did you ever see the movie Backbeat? Yeah. Right. That was that was a bit of fun because John John at the time he was very young and and they couldn't understand a lot of the stuff he was saying. So I had to go in and, and mellow it out a bit. Oh my god. And, and and that was a bit of fun. I had good time with that. And then, of course, Sean Connery was very simple. You just go in and you you take all the shits and the fucks and the crap <laughs> out of his dialogue, and <laughs> you've got yourself a job. I mean, I used to get paid like $2,000 to go stand in this arena with a microphone and a music stand, and it was wow. it was realistic because it was dark in there. And it, it, all there was was a big movie screen. I mean, life-size movie screen in front of you and you're alone in the room with a mic stand and a mic and they give you the click track you know and you go click 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 and you've got to take the the word fuck and turn it into fine oh wow <laughs> oh wow fine, fine then fine you know? <laughs> i always wondered how they did that because i'm like there's no way they're getting these big stars to go back into a room so that they could premiere this movie on the sci-fi channel and not have any curses in it they can't well yeah. they just they just take the words out but uh, back in the day for airlines that's what we did it for right wow. for for uh john and and sean and and recently harrison with ender's game how do you do, dude? Harrison must be the hardest voice to do because he doesn't have anything. Does he? Did you pick up like a distinct cadence or anything in his voice to do it? Because it's it oh. seems very plain. 
Just a minute, just a minute. <laughs> you got to get pretty stoned. <laughs> and then just sort of let it flow. That's fucking awesome, dude. Nailed That's it. wild. Yeah. But it, That's incredible. Yeah. You got to yeah. get stoned as he is and then just let it out. But that's fun. I, I really enjoyed my voiceover career. I mean, I love doing stand-up with Mac. It was great being on stage and seeing the people. And um, my daughter's going through that right now. Oh, Haley, really? Haley Kiyoko. Yep. Yep. She is uh, on a twenty-four city tour. Beautiful. She's in so Berkeley. now, because she's obviously crushing it. She's doing really, really well. She's got the tour going. She's fantastic. You know, I mean, obviously everybody knows. I know who she is. Uh, as her show business dad, though, does she come to you for advice? Do you offer? Like, I always wonder how that dynamic works because you've been in it forever. Do you kind of sit back and let her do stuff? And if she comes to you, then you give advice? Or are you like, here's what you want to do? <laughs> like, well, let's see. That's a very delicate issue. Uh huh. Yeah, okay. Let's get her uh, in the room. No, <laughs> when she was 12 years old, she wanted a four track so she could record some music. Okay. She recorded music that was so beautiful and prescient and and just just on the money mm -hmm. that I took my three car garage and I built a soundproof studio for her in the garage. Wow. I just left room for my Alfa Romeo. I have a 66 Alfa Romeo Duetto. So I had to have room for that in the garage. But the rest of the garage was soundproof studio. And I just let her fly and let her start writing music. And, of course, she had a MySpace channel and oh. those early things, you know. And, yep. and now I just watched an episode of um, Life by Ella, which is on Apple. Oh, it's, yeah. a kid, it's a kid's show. But it was uh, episode six. Uh, Ella's uh, make a wish is to meet Haley Kiyoko. Right, my so, cousin watches that show. That. So it was really cool. It's really cool, and That's it's really crazy. you know. And people say, "Oh, you must be so proud," and I am proud, of course. But I'm proud when people tell me that she's cool to work with, and and that uh, you know when the uh, cable, the grip guys say, "Hey, man, your daughter's really cool," you know, or mm -hmm. the guy says, "Hey, Haley's really a pro," you know, right. That's that's when I'm proud. Uh, when I see her on stage, like at the Greek, my heart uh, the other night, my heart is just filled with joy and happiness yeah. that she's living her dream. I mean, that's we should all do that, right? Live our dream. Absolutely, that's the truth. Can't beat yeah. it. <laughs> um, did you? Where did she get her musical talents from? I mean, like, is that come? Are you are you musically inclined at all? Totally from me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all her skills. She plays all these different instruments because yeah. I play a little bit of saxophone. <laughs> and a great singer because I played Emile de Beck in high school in South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, you know, her mom is a champion, world-class... Choreographer, yeah. And ice choreographer. There's mm -hmm. two Emmys. And her mom's way overachiever. And um, I've always felt like I'm very comfortable being a, an underachiever. I mean, notice that I was part of a comedy team. I didn't try to. <laughs> I, I had to have somebody else up there on stage with me. Right. My, mm -hmm. I got you. Know, you. It was interesting how that happened. Dig this. I'm Key West, Florida. Um, I was a silversmith. Mm -hmm. I had a, I made jewelry. And I had a silver, and I still do. I had a silversmith shop on Duval Street in Key West, and oh. I got bored because I was, you know, working on custom orders all night, and I was listening to this radio station that played great music. And I went up to the radio station one day, and I said, "You know, you play great music, but your commercials really suck." <laughs> and, and you know, they said, "Well." what could you do? And I said, well, I can do a bunch of impressions. And, you know, I did Reagan for them at the time. And, and, um, they said, well, can you start tomorrow? I said, sure. And so I started the next day as the morning guy. And for the next two years, I was the morning guy in Key West, Florida <laughs> on the rock wow. and roll station. 
And I got a note one day when I got off the air and said, you must be one of the funniest guys in Key West. I'm the other one. This was in 1978. Wow. Okay? And I got together with Mac and we both had the same vision of wanting to do a, a live parody of Key West on stage. Nice. So Mac wrote a bunch of sketches and I did some stand-up. And I acted in some of the sketches, and we just took off. I don't know, kind of, yeah. Well, the next move was a waitress who was in love with Mac, a waitress at the comic strip mm. who had a crush on Mac. Let me put it that way, in case she's listening. <laughs> she, <laughs> she called us and said, hey, guys, I'm up here at the comic strip in Fort Lauderdale, and they're bringing down these New York comics like Jerry Seinfeld and Paul Reiser and Rick Overton and Carol Liefer and Lois Dengrove and, and Jackie Martling. And I mean, and the list went on and on and on. Rob Bartlett. And, and so nice. uh, she said, you guys are just as funny as these guys and you should come up to Fort Lauderdale. So we drove five hours every Thursday to Fort Lauderdale. No, it was every Friday. To Fort Lauderdale, we'd be there for Friday night, Saturday night. We did shows. We slept in the club, and because there was, you know, sometimes the comedy condo was full because they had yep. four comics down from New York, and we were just the local Key West comics. Right, right. Yeah. said, "Guys, you guys were killing New York." So when we had a little money in our pocket, some guy offered us a thousand dollars a week to work at a place called Mother Tucker's up in. Uh, St. Petersburg, and it was wow. it was one of those bars that had a swimming pool in the middle of it, so it was you know, hard to get yeah, focus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, yes. Back in the old Quaalude cocaine bag ammon days, mm. you know, and so we we just kind of had fun on stage and played around and wrote new stuff, and then we had a few thousand bucks in our pocket and we drove to New York. Wow. And first night we got there, we went to the comic strip and Ron Richards saw us and Rick Overton. Oh, was, hey, Jack, I think Carol Liefer called us Jack and Mamie. But anyway, <laughs> you guys, oh, you're here. And then Lucian, who was the doorman at the comic mm -hmm. strip, yep. was very, very tight, very tight lipped and uh, very aloof. Mm -hmm. and somehow I kind of wiggled my way in to at least talk to him and make him ask, who are these guys? And, and Ron Richards, all he killed down there in Fort Lauderdale and Overton gave us a, uh, and Bolster, Joe Bolster said we were good. So they put us up great and that kind of began. And then Ron Richards said, Hey, I got a house in Passaic. You guys got a car, don't you? And we said, sure. He said, good. I need a ride home tonight. You want to live with me? I said, sure. <laughs> So Holy we in Passaic, New Jersey, with um, in in Rich Hall's old apartment. Rich Hall, you remember Rich Hall? Yes. Oh yeah. my God, he was in Million Dollar Mystery with me, <laughs> and Kevin Pollock was in that movie. Yeah, uh, it was the worst movie ever made. It was so bad. I was flying to the premiere in New York, and they were showing it on the goddamn plane. <laughs> <laughs> was oh my god that's and you understand it called it million dollar misery but oh. you know we were in arizona lake mead and we were having fun yeah. um <laughs> how, how are you how are you and kevin together because i feel like that's got to be interesting to have to is it do, do do voice actors appreciate other voice people who can do voices or is it like a rivalry you know it's a rivalry with him because i'm better <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. No, no, no. Kevin, we uh, brought Kevin into Comedy Break. Uh, oh. We discovered Jan Hooks. I mean, Jan Hooks had been doing a lot of TV down in Atlanta for mm. Ted Turner Station. And uh, she was in a sketch group down there and was doing brilliant work. I think Alex Bornstein was in that group as well. Wow. Uh, oh, yeah. wow. This is Maisel. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. And... Uh, we put Kevin Pollack, our producers, found Kevin Pollack, and when we got Jan Hooks, and we put them on Comedy Break with us, and they were the greatest sketch players anybody could ever ask for. Oh, that's awesome. And Kevin and I 
we had fun. We would do dueling Reagans. <laughs> well, whoop you. I'm certainly glad I'm I'm not you. Well, you go rhyming stuff again. You know, that confuses me. You know, and <laughs> back and forth. I hope I don't ever get confused. Knock on wood. Come in. I'll be right back. Yeah. It was that kind of thing. I had fun. I, about two months ago, my daughter was asked to perform for Kamala Harris at the White House residence. Mm. So she flew my, uh, my wife and I in, and um, we went to the sound check, of course, and got through. See, I couldn't believe I got through secret security with my record. I mean, <laughs> I got a, a, a psychological discharge from the Army, for God's sake. Oh, my God. <laughs> At my at my uh, physical, they said no, right. no. <laughs> He's like, you got a little bit of everything. We don't know how. <laughs> but can, so I any about, can, can I tell you something about Kevin real quick? Because so yeah. Kevin, I, I worked with Kevin Pollock before. I love him. He's a great He's guy. Brilliant. He's so so talented. God, so damn. fucking awesome. This is like years yeah. ago, and I just got to meet, you know meet him. So, but I've we follow each other like on Instagram, whatever. So he can see the messages when I send the messages. And Tom knows this because it's kind sorry. of it's he's doing it to he's taunting me. <laughs> so he so I've I've messaged him and he'll reply. And then I'm like, hey man, you know, I've got uh, the show I've been doing since the pandemic. It's dystopia tonight. You should come on. And he'll he'll just give me a thumb, he'll give me a thumbs up. And I'm like, <laughs> that I yet like are you whatever that's all you will get from him. <laughs> you have Physically go to LA and kidnap him and put him in the your trunk to get him to do your sh fucking show. He's just like that. He, but you know, he's doing his own show and he's got Maisel. He's yes, he's a very happy guy. He's got oh yeah, you know, he's got a lot of stuff going on. And it's it's great. Anyway, to finish the story, yeah, uh, we were at the vice presidential residence at the Naval Observatory in Washington D.C. and I was at a sound check. And it was my daughter's sound check. And she was over there and she had her a little stage set up and she was there with Larry, her guitarist and a brilliant, brilliant guitarist he is. And um, so I looked and there was the lectern for Kamala and the flags were on either side and the seal was on the lectern. Oh, and so I ran up on, and there were two big ass mics and I knew we were live. And so I went up and I went, I went right into my Ronnie. <laughs> yeah. I actually lived in this house. I, I wanted to be vice president, but Nathan would never let me get a, get any closer to vice than I than I'm already held, at, close to it. Just unhealthy. I was rambling on. Secret Service were laughing their ass off. Every and my daughter's going, "Daddy, get down!" And her manager saying, "Who was supposed to be watching him?" <laughs> they usually had something assigned to me, but for some reason they were negligent in their duties that day oh god that <laughs> is hilarious i gave it to my i gave the camera to my wife and she videotaped it so oh really parody in my phone oh no no you gotta you gotta dude you gotta post that you gotta you know do it like an instagram reel i should post it okay all right all right you post it i'll share it it'll explode or or we'll put it we'll we'll we'll, we'll meld it into this episode i couldn't talk all for a second. Right, i'll post it tomorrow yeah, yeah. Oh, oh hell yeah i love it wait i know I, uh, we we got to New York, and it was really magic because we would we got in at the at Catch a Rising Star thanks to Bill Maher. Oh, nice! Was the MC and at Catch a Rising Star, the MC brought you up, and yeah. only the MC could choose to bring you up. So That's David Day and Belzer and uh, Bill Maher were the uh, wow. MCs, and well, there was a couple other ones, and. Bill had heard we're funny, and he said, "I heard you guys." He just walks up and is, you know, I heard you guys are funny. And uh, I said, "Yeah." He said, "Can you do twelve minutes?" He said, "Sure, yeah, yeah, great. We'll need two mics, but yeah, yeah." He said, "You need what?" <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll do twelve minutes. So, with a comedy team, you have to plan what you're going to do, the bits you're going to do. What am I going to say? You know, some of it's ad lib. But you, what happens is the magic is you try to make it look like ad lib when really it's something you've rehearsed over and over and over again. Yeah. All yeah. of Williams, all of almost any comedian I can think of. Right. And, uh, 
<laughs> we walk up on stage. Bill hands me a note. And it says, do eight. So suddenly I had to communicate to Matt oh my God. on stage at Catch a Rising Star for our very first time that we were going to have to cut four minutes from what we had planned. <laughs> oh, my wow. God. Oh, my God. Oh, nightmare. Oh, God. It was a long <laughs> minutes of my life. And then we got off at eight minutes and Bill was nowhere to be seen. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> hilarious. Fucking hilarious. That's so classic. About New York at the time was you could go in and you could work the first show. Like we would drive through the Lincoln tunnel. So we could, we'd right be there, be right there in hell's kitchen. We'd mm -hmm. work the first show at the improv. And then we'd, um, we, how did that work? Yeah. We'd work the first show at the improv. Then we'd go over to the comic strip and do a middle spot. And then we close catch and then we go back to comic strip and open the comic strip. We go back to catch and do a middle spot. And then wow. we go across town to the improv and close it. And usually that was about two 30 or one 30 in the morning. And we would be sandwiched between Gilbert Godfrey and Rita Rudner. If you can oh imagine. Oh my God. Holy shit. Gilbert Godfrey would go on at about one o'clock and then we would follow Gilbert. And then Rita would have to follow us after I just take my face wow. and walk <laughs> Desperado. It was, Rita, Rita Rudner is actually coming on uh, next month, October 17th. She's oh, how wonderful. You're so lucky to have her on your show. She's uh, just brilliant and, and charming and yeah, very funny. Very, I mean, jokes. JPM, I'm going to say she's one of the top jokes per minute. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, she's phenomenal. I've never met her before, um, but I, she's always been one of my favorites. Oh, she's elegant and wonderful. Yeah, and yeah. and Gilbert, I've worked with a bunch of times, and it's a, it's a bummer. I never he was he was. I always got to open for him, and he was always so nice. And one of the times uh, we were texting before one of the shows, and it was at you know it's it's at a club and it's in a hotel and it's not great, and we're doing this thing or whatever. And he gets to his hotel room, and I go, "How's your room?" And he goes. And he's on the first floor and he goes, if it were a little higher, I would jump. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. I still have like a screenshot of that text. It's so fucking good. Well, he would, you know, at 1.30 in the morning, he'd, he'd grab a piece of lettuce off somebody's plate at the first at the front table and put it on his hand. Remember that? The heartbreak of psoriasis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh my God. So, brilliant. so brilliant. Listen, man, it doesn't escape me how lucky I am to have decided to go into comedy at the end of the 70s. Yeah. I got to live through that whole 80s boom of comedy clubs and comedy condos and, and yeah. you know, Ellen DeGeneres opening for us. Oh, wow. Holy know, shit. At a comedy condo with Ellen. For a week, that was I think in Oklahoma City. Was she like a hangout person? Did she hang out with you guys? Like, did she? Was she? You know, because it doesn't. Because it always seems like there's these groups of comics, and obviously it's your generation and who you come up with and stuff too. But I'm always curious, like, who was the person that liked to hang? Who didn't hang? Who, you know, like, was it like a, you know, what was it like? She didn't hang that no. much because it was a guys' club. <clears throat> gotcha. You know. Yeah. Right. Comedians, comedians, we. I mean, I don't get like that, but comedians right. get like that. They sure, just, yeah. You know, I'll meet you for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waffle House. Okay. You know, <laughs> what time? I don't know, one thirty. Okay, fine. You know. <laughs> Did you have a preference between the comic strip and the and the um and catch rising star and the improv? Was there one that you particularly liked more than the other? Well, I'm not being politically correct, but I can't say that one was better than the other because they each had their own charm and they each had their own audience. Right. Uh, the, uh, the crowd at, at comic strip was very New York. Uh, catch was a little more touristy and upscale. Okay. Okay. You know, and, um, and uh, there, <laughs> I'll tell you a story. I hadn't thought of it in a while. It's in the book, but I haven't thought about this for a while. I was, we were, 
Mac and I had just gotten to town. This was before Bill Maher put us up at catch and we were just kind of hanging out at the bar at catch. And we were very, Oh, very cautious about, you know, overstepping our bounds. Uh, yeah. or anything. You know, we knew our place. We were larval comics and that was, that was our place. Right. And, um, I had to go to the bathroom and, uh, I started to make my way across the room and to get to the bathroom, you had to walk across the back of the room and the back of the room had a big mirror, about a 60 foot mirror on it. Mm-hmm. And you had to walk across the back of the room. There was no way you could sneak across the back of the room. And what Belzer was on stage and he oh. said, hey, Sparky, where are you going? And I said, <laughs> I said, where do you think I'm going? I'm, uh, I got to go to the, uh, you know, he said, hey, grab me a urine specimen while you're in there. Well, yeah, you know, and he got a big laugh and, uh, yeah, yeah. So I went in the bathroom and there were two guys in the stall blowing, doing coke. And, uh, they came out while I was still at the urinal and were standing behind me and walking around behind the sink. And I noticed one of them had a glass of white wine. And I said, I'll give you 20 bucks for that glass of wine. What? What? What are you talking about, man? It's wine. And it's, I'll give you 20 bucks for it. He said, sure. So I gave him 20 bucks for the glass of wine. I let them leave. I took a couple beats. I walked out. I walked directly to the stage and I handed Belzer the white wine that looked suspiciously like a urine specimen. <laughs> you know, and he played with it. He said, oh, walk. It's still warm. And then I walked out. And I was, I was in the in the bar area, and and the room just erupted with laughter. Oh my god, that's so he, great, man! Obviously, played them along, played them along, and then drank the wine. Oh god, that's so, so good. good. Yeah, <laughs> you, I, I love stories like that because I don't think you see that too much anymore. Because you know everybody's kind of the club owners and the way things are run. Everybody's kind of hip to how it's supposed to be done now. So there's not a lot of playing. That's so wrong. That's so wrong. Yeah. Right. Any place, if there's any place to play, it's in a comedy club. Absolutely. So now did you and, and Mac have, um, you know, like who were your heroes? Like when you were going into it, was there somebody that you guys kind of, you know, emulated maybe in the beginning or anybody that you looked up to? I, I look up to a lot of comics. I uh, got to know George Carlin in life and I, he's wow. the same to me. Uh, I got, uh, I loved the Smothers Brothers as a kid. Mm. Uh, I was more of a Laurel and Hardy guy than Three Stooges. Okay. Uh, in my boomer generation. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think the, the deal is, here's the deal. Mac had been living in Key West, which is not really a part of the United States at all. <laughs> really isn't. Have you right. ever been there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a, it's its own entity. I was going to ask how you ended up there. Own world. And back in the day, it was all just a bunch of hippies, and it was a bunch of gay men, and it was a bunch of uh, Bahamians and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. native conks who lived there. And the art colony was amazing. I mean, you could ride your bike around the island and see a bunch of bikes in front of a house and find a vegetarian feast just about any night of the week. Wow. It was just an amazing community. Awesome. We all carried our babies in the baskets of the bicycles and and uh, and with a salad, you know, or tofu or something. It was <laughs> it was just a very cosmic time. I mean, there was a lot of love down there and a lot of loving. And I must say it wasn't a bad idea to be a heterosexual man on a predominantly homosexual island. Smart. That yeah. kind of worked out. Mm-hmm, kind of, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it, it was a magical time. And then and then that's where we wrote our act. Wow. Didn't write it like anybody. And and that's why when we went to New York, and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, you know, that's why we went to New York. Four months after coming to New York, we were signed by William Morris. Wow. And uh they started talking about us working up to getting out to LA to do tonight, the tonight show. And a year later we came out to LA to do our first tonight show with Johnny. Oh my God, man. So it just kind of just 
boom, 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 roll, roll, roll. And you're looking around what's going on. And, but that's what was going on. I, um, I think I went to see Paul Reiser the other night. Oh, what a show. Oh my gosh. Dude. He is one of the most wonderful standups. And I always liked him. Even when we're in New York, when we're young kids, you know, there was just something about Paul. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's so good. Well, I, I love Paul Reiser and I have been, I mean, so he's coming to um, the town I grew up in uh, on, in October uh, in uh, Tom's River, New Jersey. Tom's River. Okay. Yep. Cause I'm from Brooklyn, but I, I went to middle school through high school in Tom's River, New Jersey. So we moved. Lucky so I'm boy. Lucky boy. Yeah. And, and so we, but he's coming to the area, right? So I have been uh, trying everything I can to see if I could talk to his people to get him to do this kind of a thing. And it's nearly, they're like, you know, I talked to the theater, I talked to whatever. I'm potentially close to getting him to do a print interview because I did one with David Steinberg. But I, you know, he's just, he, I, I'm probably, I'm going to go wind up going to see him anyway, but he is like one of my all-time favorites. Brilliant. His, yeah. his new show is Brilliant. Oh, it's fantastic. Okay. It's good to hear, man. Club, little club called Flappers. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I love Flappers. They're great to me. Hadn't seen it for years. You know well, about yeah. you know his uh, soap opera story, don't you? No. Okay. When we were Larval Comics, we would... The great thing about... The great thing... One of the great things about the comic strip that the other clubs didn't have was the comic strip have a, a U-shaped table at the back of the room. And that's where all the comics would sit and right. rotate out of that table and go on stage. And then they'd usually come back after they got off stage and sit at the table and everybody give everybody notes. Wow. How did this joke work? How did that joke work? What do you think of this? What do you think? Is this a good button or is that, you know? And it was just so creative and so exciting. And one night Paul came back and he said, well, I got some work. I got a, I got a job on a, on a soap opera. Uh, tomorrow I, I got to go in. I'm playing a, a doctor. Wow! And uh, so we we were all excited, and he went on the next day. And this was the last live soap opera ever. The last soap opera ever to be recorded live, and not that day, but I'm saying this was, I think yeah. it was days of our lives or something. And and right. so it was, it was live. It was shot out to the West Coast live. There was no tape delay, nothing. And Paul Reiser. His line was, your eyes look much better, Mr. Miller. You can go home today. <laughs> he walked in. He said, I still don't like the uh, looks of those eyes, Mr. Miller. I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> and he got an extra day out of it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's genius. That brilliant? Oh, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> I love that, man. <laughs> Fucking, that's the thing, dude. Com comedians, man. We have the biggest set of balls to do that. You know, he's got a shot. It's his first thing. And he's like, I'm taking it to the next day. We do. Yep. Do. I, I, I crashed Kamala Harris's sound check. Exactly. Dude, <laughs> yeah. fucking exactly. That's what I love. And we're yeah. just like, and the thing is, is if, if there's a potential for us to get in any kind of trouble, the level of funny goes up. We're just absolutely. like, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. No, there's no real trouble. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We're like, there's I'll go, I'm trouble out there. I went through some real trouble uh, five years ago. I'm celebrating this week my five year anniversary of getting a heart transplant. Oh, wow. You Congrats, man. That was something. Wow. Woo. Damn. Yeah. Did you feel a lot of people who say because my, my grandfather got um uh, same same thing he had the hearts he had just had heart surgery on it was a quadruple bypass he didn't have a transplant but bypass, even yeah. after that I mean it, it seems like anybody that goes through a procedure like that comes out you know uh, with a little I don't know maybe like a little bit more perspective or just they're they're just you know I think it's the closeness to almost having somebody work on your heart on your chest did you feel like any you know different coming out of that. Well, we're I'm dating the surgeon. I'm dating the cardiologist. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yes. working out. it's working out. He has a busy schedule. He gets sure. middle of the night shit. <laughs> but, I honest to Christ, I hope you use that on stage. That's actually fucking hilarious. I tell you, I I read it. I as much fun as I could. I'm laying on the table getting a liver biopsy, and the doctor leans over me. You know, they lean over you with yeah. the mask 
down and he said, I'm Mr. Feld, Dr. Feldman. I'll be performing the procedure today. I just want to warn you, there's a chance of stroke or internal bleeding. I looked at him and I said, for me or for you? <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about here? Oh, God. <laughs> so I just try to keep, and you're in there, you're dying. Your heart's down to 5%. And what else are you going to do but have the best fucking time of your life? Yep. Because you don't know whether that face you're looking at right now is going to be the last face you ever see. Right. Yeah. The nurses, the x-ray technicians, everybody. So then you get out. You've got a new life. I've got a 51-year-old heart and a 73-year-old body. Wow. So I'm going to have a midlife crisis and get a reverse mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, but I drive with the windows down now. You know, yeah. it's just I don't want to miss a thing. I, I hear you, man. Is it because the other thing, too, is I mean, I I always think, like, if I make the people in the hospital laugh, they'll come and see me first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's my thing, too. I'm like, oh, when I'm in there, I'm joking around. I'm flirting with the nurses. And yeah. then, like, like, do you need a pillow? And I'm like, is there somebody screaming in the next room with they're an asshole? And I'm like, yes, actually, I could use a pillow. And maybe yeah. a, you want to tuck me in, maybe? <laughs> they're like beeping the number the, the fucking machines are going off they're like fuck you this guy's hilarious that's the one thing that uh, nurses should uh, study more I think is multitasking because oh, yeah, yeah. you ask a nurse for something they're busy Yeah. But if <laughs> said, oh what do you need you need me to reach that glass of water for you sure here boom <laughs> and you go on to the next thing yeah. but god bless them they have so many things they have to do they categorize it and then you know, you're maybe 16th in line. Right. But you yeah. get what you need. I got what yeah. I need. I came out of there alive. And sometimes, yeah. you know, if they hover too much, you're like, fuck, am I dying? Like, what is going <laughs> Like, I'm like, it's either a slow night or they know something that I do not know. <laughs> like, what is going on? Yeah. When they leave you alone, then I'm like, maybe I'm really going to be okay. Maybe they don't give a shit. I don't know. Could go either way. Yeah. yeah. Um, How is going through that whole process, too? Like, the... Getting on, I assume you had to get on a list and then ha have to find them a donor that matched, right? Right. Was that a, was the that a interesting tough thing, Tom? It's crazy because uh, it really depends on how sick you are. You have to be really sick. So I went in the hospital with seven percent of my heart function, and you you're running right now on 65, 70. So am I right now, and um, they waited. I was there two months and they were just keeping me alive, keeping me going. But I was there two months before I even got on the list. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. Cause then my heart went down to 5%. That's when I got on the list. Wow. It's not who, you know, or John, it's not how funny you are. <laughs> it's, it's a good thought and hold that thought. Cause, cause the great, you know, the crazy thing is, is, when the doctor said, you are going to need a new heart, mm. uh, which amazed me because he's from Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Blew my mind. And, but all the control I ever felt in my life just drained out of my body. Wow. And I, 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 I just started to float or something. Oh you just kind of float and you say, okay, I'm in good hands. I'm going to let them do whatever they have to do. And because they'd always come up to the bed and say, no, Mr. Alcroft, what we're going to do is I go, oh, stop. Don't tell me what you're going to do. Just do it. Yeah. Just yeah. save my life, please. Right. And that's when I start. And this funny shit started happening to me. And I said, I got to record this for posterity. So I started writing the Tin Man Diaries and it, I, I got a following. So that kind of honestly, I think that might have really helped me regenerate a little bit and, and know that I was here for a reason. Yeah. And now I'm working with a couple of comedy clubs and we're going to do pink dot night, which means that if you have a pink dot or a heart or some symbol that uh, connotes that you're a donor, you get into the club for free with no drink, wow. minimum. no drink minimum, get in for free to see the best comedy in the world. If you are a donor and it's not paying the donors back for what they're doing. It's thanking them. Yeah. Nobody ever, nobody, I've had a donor, I've had a, a pink spot on my license all my life since Same. I was 
21 or something or 18 whenever I got my license. When do you get a license in New Jersey? We get our license at 18. Eight, six, what? 16, 17 is when I got mine, yeah. That's why I had two major car crashes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, we, anyway. When you, uh, when you said your heart went down to 5% before they would help you, I was like, Jesus Christ, I don't even let my iPhone get down to 5%. That is <laughs> fucking nuts. Oh, I'm going to use it. That's good. It's use good. Use it. Take it, man. I'll be honored. <laughs> and then I'll tell you. I tell you, the pain after they put that heart in and the, I had like 92 staples or whatever. Wow. And, and, and it was just, uh, I, I tell you one, one thing, anybody who says that laughter is the best medicine has never had a morphine drip. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wrote this book. I'm going to promote it shamelessly. Ooh. Definitely. In Man Diaries. Oh, man, love that. And people tell me it's funny, and it's short. It's a short read. Nice. Uh, there's printing only on the three middle pages. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's just these three uh, middle pages that's the only printing. The rest of it. <laughs> I love that because I can't read. I thought it might be a nice journal for people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as long as I got something to draw on it or whatever, I'll, I'll be happy. I can't read, so. And I want you to go to Silver by Jamie and see okay. some of my recent silver work. Now, what, how did you want, like, who, how do you decide that you're going to make, like, who, how do you even know you could do that? I got out of college. I moved to Colorado with my girlfriend. We lived on a horse ranch. I did some roundup work for the cowboys there. And I was kind of a ranch hand for a while. And then winter started to come and the uh, foreman said, uh, well, we're going to let you go. What are you going to do this winter? What kind of job are you going to have? And I said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just out of college. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. This this was a trip, you know, six months on a horse ranch. I had a lot of fun. And uh, he said, well, you know, I could really use an apprentice. He said, I'm a silversmith and I could use an apprentice. And if you want to stay on. You can stay in the shack and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, wow. Learning to do silver work. I never thought of that. Let, give it a shot. Yeah. So I started doing it. And I started, these mountain men would come through town, through Pagosa Springs. And they were the guys with the cars and the silver and the pot. And they would trade you for jewelry. And they had stones that you would set, mostly turquoise, because that was back in the day, back in the seven, early 70s. And... Um, they would go and sell it in Aspen or Taos or Sa Santa Fe or wherever. And um, so it was kind of nice because you could just stay on the ranch and hang out and make, make jewelry. And they, they went around and tried to sell it and did the, the spiel. And um, then uh, I found out that Jill St. Oh, oh, what happened was Valerie Perrine. We, our house got burnt down because we were hippies and there were trappers who lived up the road and they didn't like us uh, sunbathing nude. I don't know why. There's some <laughs> wow. there. Why they didn't like our girlfriends naked on the deck. I yeah, I'll never, I'll never know. So they burned <laughs> the house down. So we went to Silverton, Colorado and opened a store. And um, I was living in a tent at that time. And we opened a store in Silverton and it was doing really, really well. And Valerie Perrine came in one day. Wow. She said, oh, I like that. And I just, I was dying because I had just seen Slaughterhouse-Five. Right. Oh, my God, Valerie Perrine. And she bought it. And she took it up to Aspen. And she showed it to her best friend, Jill St. John. And um, so Jill started asking me to make stuff for her, for her store. Oh, so then I had an outlet in Aspen. And I had a store in Silverton. And then this guy came down and he said, you're Jamie. I said, yeah. He said, I'm Lenny. I've got a storefront in Key West. How'd you like to open a store on Duval Street in Key West? I'd never uh, been there. Didn't, I said, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Incredible. And so I drove my 1950 Lincoln with my dog and all my jewelry equipment down to Key West. And, and when I was in Key West, Paul Lind came into my store. Holy shit. He looked over the counter and he said, oh, 
I love that buck. Oh. <laughs> so in his voice, I said back to him, I call it my quick release. <laughs> I pulled it out and I showed it to him and I said, just push that turquoise in the middle, see what happens. <laughs> and the buckle popped open. I had a little spring mechanism in there. So the buckle popped open. And he said, oh, I love it. He bought it. And for the next five years, he would show up at my store because he would give the, the buckle to his boyfriends, right? Quick release. Yeah. Boom, push the button, belt buckles up. He, I'm not going to paint any more of this picture for you. <laughs> but <laughs> he would pop his head in the store and he'd go, Jamie, need another buckle. <laughs> and I looked at him from the, the bench and I go, quick release. He said, oh, you betcha. <laughs> we, I would do him in my act and I'd say, uh, I went to the hardware store the other day. I said, I need, uh, I need to get a hinge. The guy said, sure, no problem. You want a screw for the hinge? I said, no, but I'll blow you for that toaster. <laughs> so <laughs> I had some close encounters. Oh my god, that may be my favorite story I've heard like all all, all month. I that's it. I'm done. We're over. It's over. Wait, you 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 know the famous Paul Lynn story of him getting up at uh, a strip joint in Ohio, right back in the day in the fifties. This was in the fifties. Jim McLaren, his best friend, told this story to me. He was in Ohio with with uh, Paul. They were at Kenley Players outside of Columbus. And Paul wanted to do stand-up. So Jim did some research and found out that the strip club in Lancaster had stand-up comics between the strippers. So they went down there and they watched a few strippers. And then the manager introduced Paul Lynn, Kenley player, Paul Lynn, ladies and gentlemen. And he went up there on stage. He looked around, said, wow, smells like pussy in here. <laughs> I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I've never heard that. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's a true story. Oh, holy shit. It's great. So I mean, comedians and strip clubs. Carol Montgomery told me to tell you, she says, hello. Oh, I love Carol. She's the Give best her for me. Will you? I will. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, she's she's doing wonderful things. Women of a certain age. It's oh. Comics of a certain age. Com <laughs> Soon to be. That's Soon really, to be. Yeah. I mean, I hang out. My best, one of my best friends out here is Phil Proctor from Firesign Theater. Oh, so I hang out with some pretty crazy people. That's fucking awesome, man. Bob Duback. Oh, yeah. your show? no, never had him. I would love to have him on. Oh, he's he's my, one of my best friends out here. He's fantastic. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, fucking crazy, man. Um, what are you going to do uh, uh, stand up anywhere locally any any anytime soon? You want to plug some dates if you got any? No, no, I'm not doing stand up. You got to do it though. You're fucking. You're killing me. I know. I, know I should. Everybody tells me I should. Maybe you I'll get it me someday. You because you you could tell that you you know you still got it in you, man. You still want to do it. You still want to fuck around. You should do it. I need to know. Was it on your radar as a kid? Did you? Ever, yeah. Did oh yeah. Stand? I wanted yeah. to be Carson. Oh. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. That was that looked like the best gig in the world. Totally. But let me let me ask you this: What do you think it was about him that left an because it's it's that generation? He left an impression on fucking all of you. I mean, like you know, I was watching um, uh, a couple of years ago. They had a special on God. I don't remember. I think it must have been. I don't think it was Mike Finder's one on the Comedy Store. I love that one. I love Mike. Um, but they were some one of the ones was interviewing Drew Carey, and he broke. He literally busted into tears because johnny had started his whole life and you know but like all those guys like what do you think was it about carson specifically it well when we were doing comedy in the early 80s late 70s early 80s but i'm going to say early 80s we did our first tonight show in 81 uh and it opened up so many doors for us mm. Then all of a sudden we were the featured comics on Solid Gold and we were 
Diana Ross wanted us to open for. Wow. We we did that for almost seven years. We worked with Miss Ross. Wow. wow. Did, was she, did you guys get to develop a relationship with her? Or was it like, you know, uh, you guys went on and then you disappeared? Well, uh, here's a trippy story. Um, we weren't allowed. She she didn't like us to change anything. She really liked our act. We had a solid 25 minutes that we did before her. And like Paul Provenza used to say, you know, you're opening for her. You're the pickle. Yeah. <laughs> on the plate. Right. Right. She's the sandwich you ordered. And yeah. you're just the pickle. So you have to make it important you have, somehow. And uh, she didn't like us to change our act because she didn't ever change her act. But her two daughters, Tracy and Terry, would be in the audience. And uh, they would watch us. They were big Mac and Jamie fans. And they'd always go by the dressing room and go, great show, guys. That was great. Yeah, great show. You know, they were just darling teenagers. They really were. Mm-hmm. And um so, so when we try to put something new in the act, we get a knock on the door and it was Miss Ross and she go, boys, don't go changing anything now. <laughs> go, All right. Wow. Okay. You know, and then years later, my daughter, Haley Kiyoko is on the Kelly Clarkson show with Tracy Ellis Ross. Oh, wow. And Haley says, Hey, Tracy. My dad and, and partner Mac used to open for your mom. And Kelly just went nuts. She couldn't believe that coincidence. Yeah. Wow. And synchronicity. I just I I love, love that. Yeah. That's you beautiful, know. man. You know, that's what the Buddha said to the hot dog vendor. <laughs> right? What's right? that? Buddha said to the hot dog vendor, make me one with everything. <laughs> Nice man. <laughs> yeah. And he handed him five bucks. <laughs> hands him his hot dog and turns around. And the guy goes, Hey man, where's my change? The vendor says, Change comes from within. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great, dude. Mm. Um, <laughs> I have to ask you the big three questions that we ask every guest. Uh, but oh. I want to thank you for coming on, man, because this has been a fucking the highlight of my week. Oh, thank you. It's been yeah. the highlight of my week, too. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, thank Carol. I'll thank Carol personally. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will. Um, go ahead. Shoot. Three questions. Uh, first one's a bit of a softball question. So it's, uh, if you can go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today? Don't get a nose job. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did that happen? I don't <laughs> I can't tell now. I don't know. Regret that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I see what you're saying. I got you. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Good advice. Um <laughs> next one is what had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are today? What was just repeat the question? What had I to end understood it? I just didn't understand sure. it. <laughs> I said, what had to end in your life? good or bad that led you to where you are today what had to end Mm -hmm. the vietnam war wow why is why is that (laughs) (laughs) i was waiting for it to go somewhere too me too and i'm like doing math in my head i'm like we did in chicago one night we were working we didn't realize that there was a bunch of disabled veterans in the audience and one guy threw his wooden leg up on stage <laughs> and we started playing around with it. And before we knew it, there were like four wooden legs on stage with us. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the old days of comedy clubs oh when anybody could do anything and say anything. Yeah. Ah, I love it. Yeah, okay, what's the third question? Third question ties into the show. Uh, if this was a genuine dystopia, more so than it is now. So if you got a government takeover or aliens or zombies or comet headed toward the earth. Please. Everybody knows it's their last day. How are you going to spend it? What's your epic death? I'm going to spend it at the beach with my wife. Beautiful. And what do you think would be happening? Would it be a comet? Aliens? What's your what's your what's your go to? I have to find a wife first. (laughs) (laughs) I know the beach I want to go to. Okay. Okay. Uh. 
You want, uh, oh, the dystopian part of it? Yeah. It would be, yeah, I would go to the beach with my wife. Okay. And we would be sucked into the sand together Ooh. and be able to stay there always with our faces in the sand looking up as people walk over us. Wow. Wow. That is deep. Where did I go there? I don't know. I, dig it. I love it, man. I'm tripping. Yeah. You ch you channeled like Han Solo Star Wars when he gets fucking into the carbon. Did I? Did I? Yeah. Yeah, Good. I love it. That was great. Good. I, know was... I had to make one nerd reference. I haven't done it in an hour and something. So that was true. I enjoyed it. That was beautiful, man. Thank you so, so much pleasure, for coming man. on, man. You come back oh. anytime and um, you. I'm going to grab a copy of your book. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, can I be on tomorrow? Yeah. We'll see you okay. this morning. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>